0: I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, uh, once again. Matthew 16, and it's on page 822 in the Blue Pew Bible. Uh, Matthew 16, beginning in verse 21, we'll go through the end of the, the chapter this morning. Now, uh, a couple of weeks ago... Uh, we looked at what I believe to be one of the, one of the most important passages in, in Scripture. Now, you may, if you were here, you may recall that I oft, also said probably one of the most controversial uh, passages of Scripture as well. Uh, not so much, I don't think, because of the difficulty of the passage, the difficulty with putting everything together, understanding it, but because it deals with the topic of authority and uh, because of that has has been uh, greatly abused uh, within the church. The the passage was the one in which Jesus says, I will build my church. You know what follows after that, and the gates of hell will not stand against her. Um, And he went on in that passage to provide definition and to provide understanding of of, of what that is, his church, and you'll remember that 's the first mention in the in the gospel accounts of church of that word ecclesia. Um, and you may recall also uh, that in that passage, Jesus shared those words right after immediately on the heels of Peter, the apostle peter's shining moment, uh, when he made that great confession and he was asked, well, who do you, Jesus was asking the disciples, who do you say that I am? And and Peter declared, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, And then on that basis, Jesus uh, continued and he, he spoke about his church. Well, in this morning's passage, Uh, Peter makes a completely different kind of statement. And this is definitely not one of Peter's most shining moments. Uh, You see, even though Peter accurately confessed who Jesus is, he didn't fully understand or grasp or even accept what Jesus came to do, what his mission uh, was all about. And so, Jesus goes on in this passage today to use Peter's confusion to use Peter's wrong-headedness uh, as an opportunity to teach his disciples and to teach us uh, about what he came to do about his mission and about what our response should be to that and uh, you know I think that the timing for this is appropriate uh, because it's during this time of of the the calendar this Uh, being Palm Sunday, next Sunday being Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, that uh, we focus upon Jesus' mission when He came into this world and and we focus upon His uh, suffering and His death and His resurrection three days later. Uh, And so this morning, uh, we're going to be especially focusing upon the first part of that. And again, I I think this is... um, This is appropriate uh, that this passage comes uh, this Sunday. Uh, So again, Matthew chapter 16, and I'll begin reading in verse 21, and it'll take us through the end of the chapter. Please look with me. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You this morning uh, for these words, and we thank You that we receive them as a part of Your Word. And I thank You that we can know, Lord, that this is is solid, this is a rock upon which we can stand that these words are given for our edification, for our understanding, for our upbuilding, and by your Spirit, uh, you will help us to have an understanding of them and to apply them to our lives. And so we do pray for that, uh, Lord, that you will open our eyes to be able to see and to rightly understand this and to rightly apply it uh, to our own hearts. Give me, I pray, the right words. Uh, to share uh, as we look at this passage together. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I mentioned uh, earlier in my, my prayer this, uh, this shooting that took place uh, almost a week ago, last Monday at uh, the school, the Covenant School in, in Nashville, uh, in which a, a young woman, a woman that we understand with uh, a history of emotional struggles and uh, had claimed uh, to be transgender. Uh, she shot her way into the front door of the school and then uh, proceeded to uh, to kill six individuals. three of those were children, uh, nine years old, each of them, and then three adults uh, who were staff at the at the school uh, and if, if you 're like me, you know, these shootings. School shootings they've become well, somewhat commonplace. <laughs> you know you think way back I, I don't know if this was the first one, but back to Columbine or some of us that wasn't all that long ago but uh but that occurred and it, it was a big big shock, uh, but now it seems uh more and more commonplace uh yet this one this one, especially for me. Uh, and I think for us as well. hits closer to home. It was in Nashville. That's not too far away, but also it occurred at a school that's attached to a, a PCA church. Uh, and uh, I've, I've seen the pastor there and uh, known about him, heard him uh, preach before. Uh, and so um, our hearts are there. <laughs> our hearts are there with, with the people, with the suffering that they're going through as a result of this. Uh, but also our hearts are there recognizing that with this occurring there uh, and with the, the churches that are involved, uh, we'll look over time uh, for the Lord to to use this to reach the community, to reach the community for uh, Christ, uh, that he has a, a plan in it all to bring hope and restoration uh, initially to this church and to the other churches surrounding, and then Perhaps to the community. but I'll tell you in looking at this and hearing about it over this past week, there was one uh, if you want to call it shining light in the, the, the midst of this, if there is one, uh, this horrific shooting. And that was the performance of the police who received the call. Maybe you heard something about, about it and about the timeline. They received the call uh, 911 call at 10:12 a.m. Uh, and then at 10.23, just 10 minutes later, there were multiple uh, cars, uh, police officers that were there on hand, ready, prepared uh, with, uh, with weapons, and they proceeded directly into the school. They listened for shots. They heard them on the second floor. They proceeded uh, up toward the, the sound of the shots. And uh, at 10.25, two minutes after they had arrived, they had uh, shot and killed the the shooter, so it it literally took the the police twelve minutes to accomplish their mission from the point at which they received the initial call uh, and if you um, there is a video that's out there that a uh, body cam video of one of the officers that went in and by watching that, you can get a sense of. Of why they were and how they were able to accomplish all that so quickly, you can tell immediately that they are on mission. They know what their mission is, they were prepared, and so they they, they went in, and with one mind and one heart, they accomplished they executed that mission. Now, uh, I heard something about the officers. Uh, say that they none of them had ever been in a situation like this one uh, before. But there were veteran officers that were part of this, and, and so they had trained and they had prepared uh, a, a great deal over the years for a moment like this, for a very important moment like this, uh, so that they might be able to accomplish their mission, which ultimately was to save many lives. And we can only imagine uh, that they did, uh, knowing what we know about the the shooter and and how bent on killing uh, this person was, and and so they they accomplished this mission. Now, I I don't I, I'm hesitant to to do this uh, because I don't want to treat this shooting that took place in in any kind of a trite manner, but uh, there is a great parallel between what we see with the police and what they did and what they executed and what we see with the, the Lord Jesus uh, in His mission. Uh, and, and it's given to us in this passage. Uh, he is on, and it's clear, He is on mission. And He will allow nothing to deter Him in that mission. Look, look with me at verse 21. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and on the third day be raised. You know, up to this point uh, in His ministry, so much of it has been about preparation. You know, the, the same words are given to us as those opening words. Back in Matthew chapter 4, right at the very beginning of His ministry, uh, we get these words, Matthew 4.17, From that time, Jesus began to. So exact same words, but in this case, He began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he continued with preaching and teaching uh, and and, and great works for the next three years of ministry. But there's a sense in which all of that was preparation for this point. You know, he was describing his kingdom, he was introducing it. uh, But now, now comes this point of execution uh, in which. He sets his face toward Jerusalem, and he began to reveal his mission to his disciples, that he must go, and he must suffer many things, and he must die. And you know, I think that's all that Peter heard at that point. There's one more element that's given, a very important element. Uh, He he says that uh, on the third day he must rise, but I think in Peter's mind, and probably that of the twelve... Uh, disciples that were there they couldn't get past that this, what Jesus shared didn't fit into Peter's mold, it didn't fit into his expectations, he had just given this great confession about who Jesus is, he said you are the Christ, that means Messiah the son of the living God and so he had certain expectations from that, an idea of what that was going to look like and so for him and probably for the twelve as well, probably Peter was speaking again on behalf of the, of the disciples. Uh, for him, messiahship was all about glory. And it was all about greatness and ruling as king. And maybe somewhere along the way there'd be some suffering that would take place, but it wasn't this. It wasn't suffering that would culminate in death. Think about how... of what value would a dead king, a dead Messiah be? And so Peter lacked understanding. But I think he also lacked trust. We don't see Peter saying to to Jesus, Jesus, I I don't understand what you're saying, but I trust you and I trust the mission that you're on and, and I am with you. Peter didn't say that. No, Peter said, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. You That's a great temptation that we all face, isn't it? To kind of take Jesus' mission and to substitute something for it that's really our mission, really is, is what we think would be best what we think is needed, uh, our own agenda. And when we do that, and if we do that, in the process, we stand the danger of missing it all, missing the gospel altogether. Jesus came to save lost sinners. And the only way was that He, as the Son of God, had to suffer and had to die And that suffering that he went through, it wasn't just something that kind of happened along the way. That was core to his mission. It was central. But Peter, and again, certainly the other disciples, couldn't understand that, and and in a way couldn't accept that. Suffering and death just didn't fit. Yet we have the very same temptation. Uh, And so we can try to make Jesus' mission about what we desire, what we think is right for Jesus, for His ministry, for His church, uh, and, and, and try to fit it into our own agenda. Now, that is what the prosperity gospel preachers do. That is what the liberal church has done as well. But you know, those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus and who are true disciples are very capable of doing that as well. And we see that here with Peter. And so, sometimes correction is needed. Uh, and, and that's why we see, immediately after Jesus rebukes Peter, and he says to Peter, Peter, you're, you're, you're taking the place of Satan. You're hindering me. You're standing in the way of my mission. Uh, but immediately after that, Jesus describes what it means to come after Him and to be a true disciple of His. Look at verse 24. This is a, a key verse. and We see words similar to this back in chapter 10. Then Jesus told His disciples, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. You know, Jesus is saying that the only way to have Him to be with him to be a disciple of his is to join him in this you know it's it's not following your own way it's not putting your own agenda out there because you've looked at all different sides and you think that is best no it's it's listening to him his word following him and he mentions the cross here take up your cross and so get the sense that even to the point of death, that's what the cross means to Jesus. He's going to die upon the cross. And so, even to the point of death. Now, why? Why would it be better for us to give up of ourselves, to die to that, and to give ourselves over to Jesus, to live for Him? Isn't that exactly the opposite of what the world around us tells us? Doesn't the world around us tell us to be your own person? Uh, Never uh, let anyone encroach on who you are, on, on, on what you want to be. And so why is it better for us to die to self and to follow Christ? Well, he gives us three reasons here. And this is one of those passages where it's not so hard to pick out those three reasons. Uh, if you look with me, right after verse 24, verse 25, you'll see the first word of verse 25. For. It begins with the word for. You can substitute the word because uh, there. He's given a reason here. Look at verse 26. For, what will it profit a man? Again, in uh, verse 27, for, because the Son of Man is going to... Uh, and so he, he kind of breaks this down for us. Uh, and so we're going to look at each of these points. Um, so verse, verse 25, w- what's the reason that it's better to follow him and, and die to self? Uh, in other words, die for him. What, what reason is it better? I'm going to summarize it this way. In order to avoid complete loss. This is the reason, to avoid complete loss. Now, in verse 25, Jesus presents a paradox to us. Listen to verse 25, the first part of it. He says, For, or because, whoever would save his life will lose it. He's saying that any person in this life who follows his own will, follows his own way, sets aside the Lord's will will ultimately lose everything that he tried so desperately to hang on to. He'll lose it all. Now, you know, I, I think that that's not real difficult to understand. It's, it's actually pretty straightforward, those words, because we all know that this life is temporary, don't we? Uh, it doesn't matter how, how young we are, uh, We come to know as we experience life, and we experience people dying, we experience loss, uh, that the things of this world are temporary, and that when you die, you don't take anything with you. Uh, In fact, all the losses that we experience in this world, uh, they they point us to that fact. They point us ultimately to uh, the understanding that everything is temporary. Uh, whether it's a stock market crash and there's loss of of money or a fire and there's loss of property or uh, a relationship that fails and and a loss of uh, that relationship with others. All of those things and many more, they point us again and again and again to how temporary things are in this world. Nothing will remain. Now, that's one side of Jesus' paradox here, that if you live your life your way, as Frank Sinatra famously sang, that you will experience complete and utter loss. And again, that's not so difficult to understand. I will add, though, that I think it's impossible for the natural man to come to terms with it. Why? Because, and you can hear it in those words, it means hopelessness. And that's unacceptable. But Jesus gives the other side of of his paradox here, and it's it's this, uh, and and this is the, the the place where we find hope, the only place. He says, "But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it." Think about those words again—a paradox. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Oh, what's he saying? You know, he's actually pointing us back to verse. 24 and what he had said there. Uh, whoever loses his life for my sake uh, means to deny yourself and to take up your cross and to follow him. That's what he means by losing your life for my sake. Now, that phrase, take up your cross, that may be a phrase that you have, have used in certain circumstances. I have used, uh, you may hear it used. And often it's, it's in these kind of circumstances that there's something difficult uh, that I face and, and I have a need to kind of grit my teeth and, and go through it, but go through it for the sake of, for the sake of Christ uh, and continue forward. And, and that's not a wrong application of that phrase, but there is a bigger meaning here if we read it in context. You know, Jesus' mission was to suffer many things and to die and in the process and then to to be raised again on the third day and in the process uh, to to accomplish the saving of many sinners and so here he's saying at least to the first part of that he's saying you do that you come alongside me with what i've done and you do that this is discipleship This is what belonging to Christ is all about. It involves following Christ in death. It is a call to die to self and to decisively accept whatever comes, whatever that means, whether it's pain, ridicule, persecution, all for His sake and all for His cause, for His mission, even to the point of real physical death. Now, I have to add this here because somebody might hear that and they say, well, who would ever do that? Well, I have to add that this is never something that a person does when they don't want it. Because the cause, the underlying reason that that you would do this is why. It's because Christ died for you. And He died for you Uh, that you would no longer have that other part of the equation, complete loss, but so that you would have life and be able to go on. And, And if you know that inside, then that makes you willing and ready to die for Him, to give everything up that you relied on before and to depend upon Him and Him alone for salvation. That means, what does that mean, really? That means you no longer... Promote your own interests, your own agenda. Uh, you, you're you're progressively putting that to death. But what are you about now? More and more, you're you're about promoting the glory of God, and uh, looking that in all that you do, uh, that He would be glorified, that His name would be lifted up, every area of your life. Uh, so that's what He did. He was on mission. And now He calls for you to do that. To die to self and to exalt Him, to be about His purposes now. And it is, got to remind us, it is progressive. It's not just a point in time that this happened. It's ongoing. You know, there will be times when we're like Peter uh, and we stand in the way with our own agenda. And so we will need, we do need, a severe rebuke at times. Speaking of Peter, listen to what Peter said about this later. Uh, after he had experienced uh, the, the Lord's suffering, the Lord's death, his resurrection. But here's what he said about Jesus when he suffered. And this is in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And what, what he's saying is that Jesus, in his suffering, was not about upholding his rights. He was not about focusing upon the suffering that he was going through and the injustice of it all. No, he entrusted that to God. He left it up to him And Peter goes on to say in that same passage, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Now that is his mission. He was on mission. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. That's what this passage is all about. That's what it means uh, that we might take up our cross. It's dying to sin, dying to self, so that we might live to Christ. Live to His righteousness. And when we do that, paradoxically, Jesus says, we will find life and find it abundantly and find it eternally and find wholeness in life. He says, whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. You know, really, what glorious words. And so, the, the first side of this equation For Whoever would save his life will lose it. Uh, He's speaking here about trying to hold on to things in this world your own way, and the result will be total loss. But if you give up of yourself and you embrace Christ, seeking His glory in all things, he says you will find life, true life. So that's why it's better to follow Him and to die for Him to avoid complete loss, and I might add, find life. Uh, secondly, if you look at verse 26, it's to avoid living a worthless life. You know, the next point that Jesus makes here is it's really a further explanation of the first, so I'm going to try to touch on it uh, briefly, but let's, let's look at it. Verse 26, "For what will it profit a man? What will it help a man, benefit a man, if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You know, it's almost in that that verse, like Jesus is teaching us business principles. He's calling us to to take a look at how we obtain, in this life, anything of true value, anything of, of, of worth. Anything of benefit, of profit, anything that will help us. And so he speaks first about the, what, the, what the natural man regards as being of value. And he says, what will they profit a man if he gains the whole world? In other words, gains the whole world. Uh, if he gains all the, the money that there is, all the pleasure that there is, all the power of this world, all the glory of this world. Yet... He says this person will have obtained nothing of any lasting value if you forfeit your soul in the process to spiritual death and to separation from God. You will have lived a worthless life. It was kind of like that, that company, or I don't know, it's an exchange. You may have heard about it a few months ago. I guess it's still in the news, but FTX... Uh, a cryptocurrency uh, company. Just a, a few months ago, before November, I think, of 22, uh, it, it seemed to be the place to invest. They had uh, This company was worth billions and billions of dollars, and it had been on this trajectory, a, a rise, and, and so it was the place to go. It was seen by everyone almost in that light, yet almost overnight, it was shown to be worth almost nothing. Billions of dollars, gone. And you think about how sad it was for those who had invested in it. Imagine getting to the end of your life and recognizing all that I've invested, all that I thought I had there. Poof. It's gone. It's worth nothing. It's worthless. It's of no value. Remember when Jesus was being tempted by the devil? Uh, this is back beginning of his his ministry Matthew chapter 4 and there was a point at which uh, the devil took him to a very high point high mountain and he, he said look out and, and see all the kingdoms of the world with all of their glory and the devil said to him all these things I will give to you if you bow down and worship me you know this is the sin of the world around us that they unknowingly engage in. Unknowingly, because they never recognize that by setting their hearts upon the things of this world, that they really are worshiping Satan. And that the result will be a forfeiture of their soul. You know, and thinking... That they are obtaining something of great value, uh, bringing it into the barns more and more. They wind up living a worthless life. You know, Jesus' point here is that the soul is of great value. Don't trade it, he's saying, for something that's worthless. You know, it kind of reminds you of of Esau. You Think back to, to Genesis. Esau, who traded his birthright for what? For a cup of soup. Uh, his, his God was his belly. It was the things of this world. So this, secondly, is another reason to die to the things of this world and to live for Christ uh, in order to avoid living a worthless life. Now, the, 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 the other side of that we see especially in this passage from the Apostle Paul. This is Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 7 and 8. Uh, Paul says this, He's speaking about his own life. And he says, whatever gain I had... Now, Paul had a lot. He had power. He had prestige before. Uh, He probably had a a sizable income or would have had if he continued in that way. But he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as, as rubbish, as dung, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. He sees that there is this one thing that's of great value, and that's being in Christ. And he, he came to see, and this was only by the work of the Holy Spirit inside of him, Uh, that he came to see that continuing down this path and receiving the things of this world and making them the main uh, place, the main thing that he sought with his heart, that that was the way of living a life of worthlessness, that true gain was to be found in Christ. What, What a testimony we get from the Apostle Paul. And again, He's saying, avoid living a worthless life. So, two reasons. The third reason that we get back in our our passage for dying to self and living to Christ is because Jesus will return. You know, Jesus came into this world to save sinners. That is the mission that He came to accomplish. So just like the, the metro police there in Nashville... Uh, when they they, they were on task and they left their offices and and they headed straight to the the school and they were prepared and they were ready and nothing was going to stand in their way and they went and they executed the task and, and they ended the rampage of the killer and by doing so, probably saved an untold number of lives. Jesus did the same when He came into this world. He was on task. He allowed nothing to deter him. He came and he suffered and he was killed and he rose from the dead on the third day and he conquered death and he conquered Satan. And he accomplished his mission of saving many, many souls. But that wasn't the end of it. You know, this salvation that Jesus purchased, it extends on and on so that many may come to glory And we're told here, uh, and and it's true in many other places as well, uh, that that saving process will continue until that day, until a particular day when Jesus returns. And when He returns, there will be judgment and there will be condemnation for those who have chosen to follow their own will. And there will be everlasting life and there will be reward for those who have taken up their cross and followed Him. And so again, why must we deny ourselves and follow Jesus? It's because of this. Because He will return. Look with me at verse 27. For, because, the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. You know, let me ask you the question how often have you thought about this about the return of Christ and about what it means and what's going to happen when he returns Uh, this is the event that we should all be looking forward to and that we should know in our hearts this is going to happen you know we're actually given as I mentioned earlier a fair amount of of information about this. not everything Uh, But if someone were to ask you, tell me about what's to happen in the future, what's to happen to all people, Uh, how is it all going to end, would you be able to answer their question? Now this understanding that we're given here is given as encouragement to God's people that we might see and we might know uh, the glories that lie ahead. But also as a warning, for those who, who aren't, certain in their own hearts that they belong to Christ. Uh, and So what do we know? We're not going to go through all of it here. It's not all in this passage. But what, what do we know? Well, the first thing that we do know, and, and you need to listen closely to this just a couple of words, but it is true that Jesus will return. He came the first time. Uh, now it's been 2,000 years since... Uh, he came and and all that time's transpired, and so we 're not told exactly when he 's going to return and remember that, so if you hear somebody saying, "I know when he 's going to return they 're wrong <laughs> uh, we don 't know when he 's going to return, but we do know that he will return he will return visibly he will return in power but not, of course, during the lifetime of the disciples. We do get this statement. I just want to read it. I'm not going to go into this in great detail, but look at verse 28. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Uh, We're going to talk about this some next week as we look uh, look at the transfiguration, as we talk about the resurrection of Christ. Uh, because I believe that He he is encouraging those who are there uh, because they've heard about His death. They've, they, they've heard about His suffering that's going to take place. They're bewildered. And so I think He wants to give them some sense that, you know what, you're going to get a glimpse of this. And that glimpse is going to come through the transfiguration. It's also going to come through my death and resurrection when the kingdom is brought in. Uh, But we'll set that aside Uh, again. Now, as we look at the end time that Jesus is talking about here, there is debate, of course, among Bible-believing Christians about some of the details of, of how this will happen, and those are important to deal with, to work through. But there is no debate over this, that Jesus will return, and that when He returns, that people will be judged on the basis of what they have done while in the body. And that's what we're we're told here, it's, it's very clear, then when He returns, He will repay each person according to what He has done. Here it is out of, uh, out of Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep From the goats. And again, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. But the good news here is that when he returns, and we face that judgment that every person will face, That every person who has come after Christ, every person who has denied himself and taken up his cross and followed Jesus, remembering that that's progressive, uh, we can know that, that that mission that Christ executed to save sinners was done on our behalf. And that our sins are paid for in full. And out of Romans chapter 8, and therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What we will have is life. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And it will be life. And it will be true life. And it will be abundant life. Uh, Our sins were already atoned for upon the cross of Christ. And therefore, on that judgment day, we will be exonerated. And therefore, yet one more reason that we have to today follow Christ, to die to self and follow Him, follow after Him. Uh, so we've got three reasons that are given here uh, as we go through this passage. And, and He's calling us again and again and again to look to Him, to trust in Him. We know with the Apostle Peter, he was rebuked, right? But then what did he do? He continued on. And yes, after this, we'll even see Peter deny Jesus terribly on three occasions. We can only imagine what he felt inside. But he knew that he would be restored, and he was restored. John chapter 21. Do you love me, Peter? Peter? Yes, I do. You know I do, Lord. Jesus said, feed my sheep. He restored him fully. And in the same way, as we fall back, as we will in our lives, and we we follow our own agenda, yet the Lord calls us again and again and again, die to self and follow me. My way is right. My mission is right. It's what I have set forth before you. And you will have life eternal life and you will be together with me what a wonderful promise that we have in the lord jesus and in what he has done please join me in prayer father we thank you this morning that you uh, have given us understanding of these things and that we can see yes even in the life of the disciples Uh, we can see that they're not all that unlike us. Lord, that so often uh, we are following our own way. And as you stated with Peter, we're standing in the way of your mission, of, uh, of the gospel itself. And yet, Lord, you're gentle with us and you bring us back around. And yes, sometimes you rebuke us very directly because we need it but you care for us. You bring us back around to see that the right way, the right path is following you. It's it's setting aside our own ways and clinging uh, to our Lord. Uh, I pray that you will help us with that process. Help us to see it. Help us to desire it uh, in our own hearts and help us to follow Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.